Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope you're able to celebrate Maroon Friday today. Hope that your job allows you to be able to rep the brand wherever you are. How cool would that be? It's important. I think Maroon Friday is important for a lot of reasons. Number one, we have a lot to cheer about right now. And so it is very easy to get up on Friday and slide that maroon and white polo on let people know that we're proud to be associated with Mississippi State. But I think we should always be proud to be associated with Mississippi State. And so it's great if you're repping the brand today. It's great if you're representing the Bulldogs because we have had a good week. We have had a really good week. And uh, there's some big things to come, big things to come. And uh, I think you should let everybody around you know that uh, you are a part of the Mississippi State family whenever you get the opportunity. Speaking of the Mississippi State family, we had a great, great group turn out in Brookhaven and uh, just had a chance to just kind of sit and visit for a while. Sold a lot of books, told a lot of stories, visited with a lot of Bulldogs. It was great, and it, it always is. It's great when we have a chance to get together and celebrate Mississippi State. Very grateful to the Lincoln County Library. It's the second time they've hosted me, and both times we've gone down there, we've had we've had good numbers. We've had we sold books, and we've. I uh, had a good, good turnout, and so I uh, look forward to getting back down there again. The next appearance for me uh, will be Tuesday in Houston, Mississippi at the Trendy House. That's going to be 4 to 6, I believe. Yes, it'll be Tuesday at the Trendy House. You can check their Facebook for more details. Uh, a lot of Houston Hilltoppers have reached out to me and are grateful that I'm coming up there, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm grateful that those folks are willing to have us, and, and we'll go in there and talk about uh, sports, and we'll enjoy uh, – this good run that we're on right now because things are really trending positive. The tea leaves read maroon. So look forward to to, uh, to breaking bread with uh, some of the folks over in Houston. I've already had some people tell me, hey, while you're in Houston, you got to go eat here. You got to go do that. Uh, I didn't give a, get a heads up last night, but uh, we broke bread last night at a place on the, uh, I guess the industrial parkway there in Brookhaven called the Fish Fry. Man. You talk about it. Yeah, I didn't know if I was going to make it home. I, I was so uh, I was so full. I thought I might have to pull over and spend a night on the side of the road. It was great, great. And when when they when they say the large catfish fillet, uh, they mean the large catfish fillet. There's truth in advertising at the fish fry in Brookhaven, Mississippi. So if you're in that neck of the woods, go by and allow those people to serve you. Plenty of parking, plenty of seating, plenty of great food. Really, really had a great time there. Speaking of great food, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you that the best place to get a restaurant, great restaurant quality hamburger in this neck of the woods is Bulldog Burger Company. Absolutely love them. Great people, great food, great prices, just as we just talked about. Uh, really kind of becoming a Stark Villian institution here, Bulldog Burger. I, I have people at least once a week that send me a picture of their coaster or their food or whatever, you know, and just goes to show that they're they're proud to be there, and I'm happy to partner with our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. As I've, I've shared with you many times, you can just go have a good straightforward American classic hamburger with the Bulldog. But if you want to get a little bit exotic, you can. You can do that at Bulldog Burger Company. You can get the Mission. You get the Pico de Gallo on the side. You get the Pimentology. You get the Smokehouse. There's so many great options, and you don't have to be scared of any of them because they're all great. They're all great. Now, two locations to serve you here in Starkville on University and in Tupelo on Gloucester Street. Bulldog Burger Company, the place 
where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet, M-E-A-T. We are celebrating a great Mississippi State victory this morning as Vic Schaefer and the Lady Bulldogs go into Knoxville, Tennessee and win for the third time in a row. My colleague and friend Robbie Falk, on behalf of 247 Sports, jeanspage.com, made the trip to Knoxville, was there, and, and what a cool experience that has to be. I have not experienced watching the Bulldogs play the Lady Balls in Thompson Bowen Arena, and that's one of the best things about our jobs. You get to you get to do some really cool things in some really cool places. We spend a lot of time away from our families, but it is a fun job. There is no doubt. So Robbie made the, the trip up there. He, earlier this year, he went to South Carolina to watch this place. So you're getting better women's basketball coverage at jeanspage.com than you are anywhere. And we're happy to do it. Uh, but so we go up there, and, and according to a note that Robbie dug up, states won seven of eight against Tennessee and three in a row in Knoxville. And Mississippi State becomes the first team ever to win three in a row in Knoxville. That includes UConn. That includes the great Lady Texter teams of the 80s. Nobody has gone into Knoxville and won three in a row other than your Mississippi State Bulldogs. And that is a great note that Robbie has dug up and an even better accomplishment for your women's basketball program. It really shows there has been a shift in the balance of power in the SEC. So let's take a look. I got a chance to watch some of that in the uh, last part of the uh, book sign. You know, we, we were there three hours, you know, and so we're able to kind of watch that in between book buyers there at the end. But I'll tell you, we uh, really had a great time down there. And then looking at this thing, you know, for the ladies, it's uh, one of those deals where you almost want to pinch yourself a little bit. You think, okay, is, is this real? Did we really go and, and beat Tennessee? Not just once, but three times in a row. And I remember when, we, when Dominic Dillingham and that group beat them in Starkville uh, for the first time, and it, it felt like that uh, it was something from a movie. So State wins this thing going away, 72-55. to 55. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a last-second shot. It's not where State played over their head. State was the better team, and it showed. 72-55, now State 21-3 overall, 9-1 in the SEC. Tennessee drops to 17-6 and 7-3, and, and, and State now two games ahead of them in the SEC standings. Jessica Carter had some foul trouble last night. It seemed like very early there was a lot of ticky-tack calls, and that's, you know, I, people think that I'm, I gripe about this just for fun, but I, I don't know that there's any there's, – the only thing that's worse than women's basketball officiating might be women's uh, basketball commentators on ESPN. I'm, I'm grateful to watch the game. I am. I am grateful to watch the game. But I wish the NCAA and the SEC would make more of a commitment to officiating. And also, and I understand there's a lot of people working their way up in the world, but the quality of the broadcast sometimes is so bad. And I don't, I don't mean, you know, the picture itself and the audio. I mean, what's being said is so awful. And there's some sometimes that those commentators kind of get on a roll with the home team and they're impacted by the home crowd or whatever. But uh, there seemed to be some of that last night. And I've seen some of our fans that have gone out and said, oh, it feels like they're rooting against us. And sometimes I think that's Mississippi State fans being a little bit insecure because we are emotionally invested in the team. If anybody says anything negative, uh, we, we get really defensive about it. But there is there is some merit to some of that contact, I mean, uh, content, because it, there is some 
Some of these commentators are awful. But Jessica Carter did get in some foul trouble and uh, before that rant there. <laughs> uh, gets the four fouls and spent most of the game on the bench. She only played 15 minutes and 39 seconds, and State still wins the ball game handily. I can only begin to imagine how State would have hammered Tennessee in Knoxville if Jessica Carter had been able to play her regular minutes. Rakia Jackson continues to be a wrecking crew. Still a volume shooter. You know, she's got to get a little bit better in that respect. 5 of 18 from the floor, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, 9 rebounds, and you know that I had to make the coach happy. He's been making, that's been a point of emphasis in postgame, talking about he needs Rakia to help out more on the uh, on the glass. And with Tennessee's length, that was very much needed last night. So Rakia leads a team with 9 rebounds. Uh, forced 5 fouls, and she committed two. Led Mississippi State with 14 points, a pair of assists, a couple turnovers as well, also two steals. And that was a big thing, too, for State. 14 steals on the night, uh, led by Jordan Danbury with five. Also got a block. How about that? Uh, Chloe Bibby, beginning to kind of find her shadow. And, you know, I thought last night, from what I saw, was an, an important stretch for her. In order for State to really make a run at this thing and get deep in the NCAA tournament, we're going to have to have scoring production from Chloe Bibby. 25 minutes of action for her, 6 of 12 from the floor. And I'm really glad to see her looking more for her shot. 1 of 5 from 3, and that, that's going to come. 4 rebounds, just committed a couple fouls, 13 total points, second highest number on the team, and also had a steal. Uh, Chloe, getting her going will be very instrumental to Mississippi State's long-term success. Uh, Jordan Danbury, I mentioned her earlier. You know, again, Joe's shot wasn't falling early, but she got it going late. 32 minutes of action, 5 of 13 from the floor, uh, split the free throws, 1 for 2, 4 rebounds, 11 total points, a couple assists, 5 steals. And again, State very active on the hands. Very, very active on the hands. Yamaya Morris, one of her better games in the uniform, came on in relief for Jessica Carter, played just over 20, uh, just under 21 minutes. Seven of eight from the free throw line, and how big was that? There were times there when State was just trying to get, kind of get the lead and maintain a lead. She knocked down some big free throws, knocks down a couple of buckets, six rebounds, does commit to four fouls. And that's one of the things with State's five position. We're really struggling in that respect. We, we can't seem to defend without fouling. And that's you know, Johnny Harris will get that fixed. 11 points for her. Uh, so... 8,124 people in attendance there to watch that ball game, uh, and, and, and a lot of those were state fans. But it's a different day and time in the SEC. This is the glory years of Mississippi State women's basketball, and I, and I suspect that they're going to be a bit elongated as long as Vic Schaefer is here as the coach because of his commitment to excellence. And I've mentioned this on the show before. You, you, don't, you don't just beat Tennessee when you go to Knoxville. You beat Tennessee – when you're beating up on somebody else late in the fourth quarter and you demand that your players run the offense, you demand that your players play defense, you demand that your players live up to a standard, you don't just elevate your game when you go to Knoxville. You're consistent playing your game throughout the year. So huge win for Mississippi State. And, yes, you know, when we, when we first start talking about this defining stretch in the schedule, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. This was the game that I was most worried about. Because Tennessee is a better team this year. 
you know, that they made the coaching change and, and they have got new life. They have had some good wins this year. They are going to be a very solid NCAA tournament team. And so I knew going in that they would view Mississippi State as a measuring stick for their progress. They came out and played well for a while. Just didn't have it in the end. Because that's the thing about Vic Schaefer. I don't know that he gets enough credit for this. But you give Vic a quarter and he'll figure out what you're doing offensively. He'll figure out what your sets are. In that second quarter, he'll grind you down a little bit. And once they get into the halftime adjustments and he has a little bit longer time to discuss what you're doing, he will shut you down. That's exactly what happened last night. Tennessee jumps out to a 21-19 lead in the first quarter, and the natives were restless. Second quarter, state outscores Tennessee by 10, 19-9. So you go from a 21-point first quarter to nine points in the second. And a couple of those were free throws on some ticky-tack calls. Come back out in that third quarter, kind of the defining quarter. State builds on that, and it's an 18-10 advantage. And at this point, you, you know, if you're Tennessee, you're going in the fourth quarter, you can't run your offense anymore. Because now all of a sudden you have to have a greater sense of urgency. You don't have to have, you're not going to be able to, to be quite as deliberate in what you're doing. And so there is some anxiety that goes along with that that is kind of created from the fact that Big Schaefer, number one, has made you uncomfortable. And now you are trailing in a ball game by double digits. Now all of a sudden every possession counts even more. Because State is going to beat you in transition more times than not. And Vic, when there's four minutes to go in a ball game, and Vic Schaefer has got a double-digit lead, the game is essentially over. Because Vic is going to take the air out of the basketball. They're going to pressure you and pressure you on defense. But State's going to be very, very, very methodical with the basketball. And uh, there's an old adage in basketball that says you want to score early or you want to score late. And I think Vic is kind of a master of that too. If you can't get out and score in transition, you want to make them defend the full length of the shot clock and then get a basket, you know, in the final seconds. There's, I know some of our fans are driving crazy that we do that, but that's basketball. You've got to get out there and make them defend because you exert a lot more energy on the defensive end than you do offensively. So by the time you get these people in the fourth quarter, they're gassed and they're having to play with a, you know, with a new, a new sense of urgency. And so that kind of plays right into Mississippi State's hands. And while State uh, really wasn't looking for a shot there in the fourth quarter, they found a way to put it away and you win that quarter 16-15, so final score of 72-55, but for all intents and purposes, this game turned in the second quarter when State ramped it up defensively. That's a huge, huge part of the Vic Schaefer package. So where do we go from here, Steve? Well, we go home, and we get ready to take on Texas A&M. You know, that, that, that's been a good rivalry for us, but we've had the better of it as of late. I am eager to see what happens when uh, A&M comes in here because I believe Mississippi State's the better team. They're currently ranked, I believe, 16. I believe that's correct, 16. And, uh, you know, Kennedy Carter. I mean, that's that's been that's, that's been the deal. You know, she's been in and out of the lineup. Been hurt a little bit this year. But it's going to be a noon tip on Sunday. And for some of you uh, silver-haired dogs, it'll be okay if you, if you go to the early surface and then sl slip on out to Starkville. Uh, Vic needs you here as he gets ready to praise the Lord and go dogs. He would love for you to be in attendance. That's a ball game state should win. And then we go to Kentucky. And, you know, that's the one you look at and say, okay, of the remaining games, which one is the most difficult? It is Kentucky. Prior to last night, it was Tennessee. But you take down Tennessee, 
you can handle A&M at home this weekend and then go win that game at Kentucky, you should win the Final Four. And yes, I know we go to Auburn on that Thursday, February 20th. However, after the way they came up here and played, I don't think they'll ever be that hot again. But you better believe they will have Vic Schaefer's full attention. I think that's one of those things where, again, you learn the lesson without losing the ball game. And then you have Alabama in Starkville, Arkansas, and then you go to Ole Miss. There, there's nothing out there that makes me think the state won't win those last three ball games pretty handily. So you get through this little stretch here. Uh, state has a really good chance of winning out in the regular season and securing that number two seed in the SEC tournament, which means we would avoid South Carolina until the championship game. And I don't know that Don Staley wants to play Mississippi State on a neutral floor. And, and I understand, you know, the SEC tournament, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's still in their home state of Greenville, South Carolina. But uh, it's a little different deal. It's a little different deal. Not having, not being able to play at Columbia or Colonial Life Arena. Um, so, again, Mississippi State in a good position now to lock up that number two seed in the SEC tournament. You know, South Carolina in recent years has dropped a game they shouldn't drop. Currently 10-0 and in the league, but there is always room for for something to happen. You know, a couple of years ago, they, you know, they lose to Missouri, they lost to Kentucky. There's always been a game they dropped late in the schedule that makes you think, okay, anything is possible here with South Carolina. And, and I, I am still optimistic that they'll drop a game. And listen, they haven't lost a game since November 28th when they lost to Indiana, 71-57. They have won every game since then. They will take on UConn on Monday. Of course, that's a non-conference game, but that'll be a good that'll be a good test for them. That'll be a, an interesting uh, barometer for this team. But when you look at the South Carolina schedule, there's really there's really not anybody looking on the schedule and say, "Well, they should lose to them." Probably the toughest game they have left on the schedule within the league is that Sunday, February 23rd game at Kentucky. That's that's the one that I look at and say, okay, if they have a chance, if, if there is a game out there where State can pull even, that's the one. And then when you look at what South Carolina is losing for next year, and it's a lot. You know, people say, well, you know, still they got this great freshman class, and they do. They're very, very talented. But you're going to lose Ty Harris. You're going to lose Herbert Harrigan. You know, and those are big-time players within our league. And so I would suspect Mississippi State will be predicted to win the SEC next year because we're going to be have everybody back with the exception of Jordan Danbury. And Matharu and others are coming along. And so I suspect State will be picked to win the SEC. So if you can find a way to, to hold serve this year and maybe get some help from Kentucky against South Carolina, there's a possibility that State could win the SEC four consecutive years. Yes, we would share the title with South Carolina this year with a tie. And let me go ahead and address that again for those of you. you know, there's some people that are too proud, I guess, to call it a championship. And they say, well, they beat us head-to-head. -head. Okay, and that helps in standings. That helps in seeding the SEC tournament. But the SEC awards both teams as champion if you end with the same record. So whether you choose to accept it or not, Mississippi State gets a trophy. So... Uh, so that's where we are. So we need a little help. Got to continue to win and get some help out there. And uh, I believe that is the best possibility is that game at Kentucky. And listen, we know from experience going up there, Kentucky's a difficult place to play. It's not Rupp Arena, but it is a difficult place to play. And uh, Mitch and his crew do, do a great job there. So that's kind of where we are, and we'll move forward with that.
I want to remind you guys too, you know, I've got a new sponsor to the show, Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co, Hawthorne.co. Very, very impressed. Not just happy, but I'm impressed with Hawthorne.co. Had a lot of people reach out to me when I advertise on the show, and I always do it. I've been very impressed with the product. Every day, every single day, I get up and I use their product. There's the body wash, there's the shampoo and conditioner, the lotion, the deodorant. The cologne, which is great. I think it's the best cologne I've ever had. Probably because of the fact that it's kind of tailored for me, rather than a kind of a one-size-fits-all type cologne. Nobody ever taught you, teaches you how to buy a cologne. You can do that at Hawthorne.co. There's a quiz you take. You'll take the quiz and find out what products they recommend based on your preferences. Go take the quiz today. And ladies, I know Valentine's Day is coming up. In fact, seven days from now. You've got time to order today. Or you've ordered this weekend and have your product in time for Valentine's Day. So again, go to Hawthorne.co, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co, and use promo code Boneyard and save 10% off that first order. You can get a one-time shipment or you can set up a replenishing shipment. So I'm telling you, you're going to be proud of this product. You're going to say, you know what? This is great. This fits me. This fits what I want. This fits how I want to smell. And I'm telling you, you're going to be glad you did. Again, very proud to partner with them. I think you will enjoy these products, and and I give you a personal endorsement. I, I don't know that I've ever been happier with uh, with cologne and personal care products for sure. Hawthorne.co promo code Boneyard. Let's get into the men's side of things. Big game for the men, and it got it just got bigger. It just got bigger uh, because of the fact that uh, Vanderbilt takes down LSU. It's one of those things. It's funny. I never know what to expect in this league. And I'm sure you're, you're the same variety. It's like, just when you think you've got it all figured out, something really stupid happens. And that's what happened. Vanderbilt uh, now making a, uh, you know, a journey to try to get out of the, uh, the cellar. Vanderbilt now 1-8 in the SEC, 9-13 overall. They're currently one game out of 13th place. Georgia, Ole Miss, Missouri all tied with a 2-7 and seven mark in the SEC. So let's look at this thing here. Uh, Vanderbilt, incredible. They, they take down LSU, and, and LSU is not a great team. It's like a, Robbie Falk and I joked the other day about uh, the SEC network saying one word describes LSU as dominant, and after they have basically escaped by the skin of their teeth more times than not, it finally catches up with them, and Vanderbilt – of all teams, Vanderbilt beats them. And I think Jerry Stackhouse will do a good job in Nashville if they leave him alone. You know, but we, we thought the same thing of Bryce Drew. And Bryce had a good run for a while, but um, this Vanderbilt team, so it's a different deal for sure. What's interesting to me is that uh, they have not won a single game away from their home arena, which, yeah, I guess that's what bad teams do is they lose on the road. 0-5 away from they are 0-6 overall. It loses their neutral floor, but 0-5 in, in home games. I mean, true road games. Pardon me. I'll figure it out. Uh, but when you look at their, their SEC numbers, it is unfathomable to think that they would put up 99 points. And uh, LSU, not known as a great defensive team. And LSU is kind of becoming one of those teams that everybody in the league is kind of rooting against. Not just because of the fact that they've won as of late, but because of all the Will Wade stuff and all the allegations surrounding that program. So I think just about everybody in the league was happy to see them uh, knock down LSU. 
But nevertheless, Vanderbilt wins the ball game. And uh, again, 99 to 90 in Nashville. Be a different deal coming on the road again. That's going to be uh, you know a Friday, pardon me, Saturday night tip. Come out, say hello, take a look at it. Looking at their uh, their current statistics, Aaron Nesmith. That's that's the uh, that's the guy there. Twenty three points a game. Played in just fourteen. Started all fourteen, but he has been the guy as of late. Uh, Saban Lee, 16.7 points a game. Scotty Pippen Jr., that's right, that's Scotty Pippen, 11.3. So you got three guys scoring in double figures. They're a team that has been uh, a little bit, you know, they've really struggled defensively at times. They've allowed just under 74 points a game while they've scored just under 73. In league play, that disparity has been much greater. You know, running down the SEC results here for you. Uh, they lose at home to A&M, 69-50. They lose on the road at Arkansas, 75-55. They lose to Tennessee, 66-45. They lose to Alabama, 77-62. They lose at Columbia, South Carolina, 90-64. They lose at Kentucky, 71-62. And that was kind of a turning point for them. You remember Jerry Stackhouse said in the postgame, we're going to come in here someday and we're going to beat these folks. The next game, 61-55 against Florida, and then they finally take down LSU 99-90. So they are playing their best basketball of the SEC schedule here in the last 10 days or so. We will get a good effort from Vanderbilt. They're not going to come in here and lay down. They understand they're playing for next year. They have some young guys that are trying to build a legacy there. So be prepared. They're going to come in here and play hard. they got nothing to lose. You know, They're not on the NCAA bubble. They understand that. They're just trying to kind of figure some things out and lay a foundation for the future. But they have been very competitive against some very talented teams in their past three ball games. And the Mississippi State uh, experience will, will be no different. They will come in here ready to play. That's the thing, you know, about good coaching. Good coaching gets you ready to play in difficult environments. You know, if you look at the SEC men's standings, Vanderbilt has played three of the four top teams in the league in LSU, uh, Kentucky, and Florida within the last two weeks and been ultra-competitive in all three games. So they have figured some things out. They will uh, un undoubtedly come in here and uh, not show Mississippi State any respect. State currently 14-8 and eight in the league and 5-4 and four overall. Uh, but State has the opportunity in the next two ball games to play the two worst teams in the SEC, or two of the three worst teams. You know, Missouri's still down there, too, uh, fighting for the seller. Ole Miss 11-11 overall, 2-7 in the league. That's a ball game we got to have. It is as simple as that. we got to go up there and win that ball game. So we're looking at the Mississippi State men's side of things. We've talked about this defining stretch of five games. Well, here we are. We've got a chance now. We're 2-1. and one with these other two games coming up, Vanderbilt and Ole Miss. And again, as I mentioned, State should be favored to win those games. And then you get into that very, very interesting stretch where outside of that road trip to Arkansas, State will likely be expected to win. You, I guess you could see a split with South Carolina. But, you know, South Carolina, not a great team, but they do have a great coach. And so it'll be difficult to go win in Columbia. But I think the rest of those ball games you look at and say, okay, 
everyone in these games is reasonable. Every game you should you should have an opportunity to win if you go play not even your best basketball, but if you play as you're capable of playing, you should be able to win those games. And that's going to be a defining stretch. Mississippi State is not a guaranteed tournament team. I believe we will play our way in, but at this point, you know, State's got some work to do. And that's a big part of this thing for Mississippi State. Is I, to be fair with you, and to give you my honest opinion, we're underachieving at 14 and eight, and I think that's really kind of been the rub with a lot of Mississippi State fans. You look at this and say, you know, this is the most talented team we've had in, in over a decade. We've probably got three professional players on this team, and we're 14 and eight and uh, f five and four in the conference. We should be a better team. Well, we are a better team, and our record doesn't fully re reflect that. But my hope is is that we will play up to our potential down the stretch and kind of get over 20 wins here because they were early in the season we talked about it, it was going to be difficult to get over 500 uh, in the SEC. But I think the league has proven to be worse than maybe some of us anticipated. And we've got a chance to, to, to kind of right that wrong there and kind of get back on the right side of things. But uh, – I don't know if a Mississippi State team, you know, with 19, 20 wins and a 500 record in the SEC, is going to be good enough to get in a tournament. Just my personal opinion. But uh, the games are there for us to win. We can't afford to drop. We can't be upset in any of them. We can't afford to drop a ball game that we're, that we're expected to win. That, that's that's the reality of that deal. So let's look at uh, a couple other things. You know, we're going to be playing baseball a week from today. A week from today. We are beginning to see more and more of these, uh, you know, preseason accolades roll out. Mississippi State, three players that are kind of consensus All-Americans, and that's J.T. Ginn, Justin Foscue, Jordan Westberg. But yesterday, Mississippi State landed five players on the preseason All-SEC teams, and J.T. Ginn was not one of them which is amazing to me, but also it speaks to the depth of the, in the league of the Friday night starter there. This is going to be kind of the revival of sorts of that you know, traditional Friday night, SEC two to one, three to two type ball game. You know, last year I thought Ethan small was without a doubt the most dominant Friday guy, but to be fair, he didn't have a lot of competition. We had some good pitchers. We didn't have, we didn't have just that, you know, a ton of them, but this year it's going to be different. I think you're going to see a lot more Friday night ball games that are going to be nail biters because of the fact that we've got so many great Friday night pitchers. But uh, let's look at the guys that did make the team. Uh, Justin Foskey, the only first team preseason All SEC guy. I don't think he will be the only postseason All SEC guy. Number one, I think JT Ginn is going to play his way to that. And I think for a guy like JT, too, I think this is the motivation he needed. But Justin Foscue, first team, and then second team, Tanner Allen, Josh Hatcher, Rowdy Jordan, Jordan Westberg. And, and you heard Josh Hatcher's name mentioned. You know, Josh was, was big for us down the stretch. He is going to be a full-time player this year. He's going to have an opportunity to do some big things, but he's had a huge fall. There is a lot of buzz around Josh Hatcher, and I give Josh a lot of credit for hanging in here because, you know, he earned the starting position as a true freshman with Andy Canizaro. And then as soon as Andy was dismissed or left or whatever you, however you want to term it, Tanner Allen takes over at first, and then we barely see Josh, and there was some discussion that he may transfer. Well, he didn't transfer. He stayed in here last year, paid his dues, played situationally, 
and put together some big swings. And the next thing you know, now he's back in the order. So I have a tip of the cap, Josh Hatcher, for hanging in here with us. And now he is expected to be one of the most productive players in the lineup. So again, that's Tanner Allen, Josh Hatcher, Rowdy Jordan, Jordan Westberg. So we have five everyday position players that are all SEC. This is what Mississippi State once was. For you young whippersnappers, this is what we expected. We expected to kind of litter our names around the all-SEC list because we commanded that kind of respect. And when you go to Omaha in back-to-back years, this is kind of what happens. People say, you know what, Mississippi State's good. You, gotta, you, ha- you have to expect Mississippi State to be good because Mississippi State is Mississippi State and Mississippi State becomes a national power. And we have had some ups and downs in the past 20 years, but we are now back. We are now officially back and considered a national power. We are recruiting at an incredible level. We have made a greater commitment to college baseball than anybody in the country. We have the greatest stadium in all of college baseball. That is undisputed. Anybody that comes here will tell you that. And so now it's time for us to go start claiming some championships, and I think this is a team that's capable of doing that. Had a chance to visit with Jake Mangum here recently, and we talked about, you know, what what are reasonable expectations? You know, and Jake agrees with me. This team has the potential to be better than last year's team, even without Jake Mangum. Because offensively, we just don't have any holes in the lineup. And last year, you know, we had some ups and downs, but one of the things this year I think is going to help, we're going to have a traditional third baseman. We're going to have a guy that, that is a – we're not going to have a converted catcher playing third. And that, that's, that's not the same thing negative about Marshall Gilbert. He gave us everything he had, man. He did. Gunnar Halter got in there and did his best. And we, you know, they were up and down, both of them. But Marshall Gilbert kind of won that position late and uh, and did a great job. He lived nothing else. He would get in front of the baseball and knock it down and keep it on the infield. But as we got deeper in the season, you know, he found a way to throw that ball across there and make plays for us. I don't know if we do. We win a game in the SEC tournament without him. All that said, this is an offensive team, but it's going to be very, very, very difficult to defend. And then you get into the weekend, and, and Mangum tells me that Christian McLeod would have started for us last year had he not been sick, that he is filthy. Eric Sarantola, another guy that's, uh, you know, the control is the, is the issue, okay, and he's going to figure that out. But you got three guys with first-round talent pitching on the weekends. I don't know that we've had that. In a long time. You know, I think about, you know, we've had some good tandems. You know, you go back to 16 and we had a really good group there, you know, but, you know, Dakota Hudson and, and Austin Saxon, you felt good about that. But, you know, Sunday was kind of an adventure. You know, uh, Zach was out there for a while. Then Pilk was there. And, you know, but, you know, we've got some guys that have some real potential. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to be the least bit surprised if State, you know, puts up a lot of zeros in the non-conference with this pitching staff. But this offensive team, you know, Arkansas is going to be really good on offense too. But between State and Arkansas, you know, we, we get to play them at our place. And I saw that they were picked ahead of us in the SEC West, and that's cool. That's fine. They're not better than us. And uh, we get them at our place. And if you guys have followed that series at all, uh, as of late, the last few years, the home team has swept the visiting team, I believe, four years in a row. And so for that alone, if you're looking for a coin flip between State and Arkansas, I think you got to give it to State because you get the benefit of playing that series at home. So let's run down some things here 
in the, the few minutes that we have here together. So Josh Hatcher is expected to be your first baseman. When he is not playing first, uh, Brandon Pimentel will play first, and Josh will then DH. Need those guys in a lineup. Uh, we're going to be able to work a lot of lefty-righty stuff this year. We're going to be able to really, really kind of stack lefties if we need to. I like the fact that we have so many left-handed hitters. Josh, I expect Josh to make a big jump this year. I, re I really do. So Josh will be your first baseman. You know Justin Foskey is going to be your second baseman. Jordan Westberg, obviously, going to be your shortstop. I continue to hear from some cross-checkers that people say, you know what, Jordan Westberg is a first-round talent. He has first-round tools. Got to get a little more consistent. You know, last year, early in the year, we, we, we struggled at times to fill the baseball cleanly and throw it across a diamond. And, uh, you know, we had Tanner Allen playing first base. Not a lot of five, nine first basemen in the major leagues, but Tanner Allen gave us everything he had. And so I think by having a little bit of a bigger first baseman up there, we're going to remove some of those errors. But down the stretch, Jordan Westberg really cleaned that up. I thought he played exceptionally well. He always plays hard. And so State will be as good as anybody in the country in the middle infield. Uh, Justin Foscu has proven to be a team-first guy. You know, remember last year he bulked up to play third and ended up having to move up and play second. Uh, this year they've kind of known what they were going to do going in. And I thought last year that, that Hatcher, once Hatcher entered the lineup and uh, Justin Foscu made the move to second, that's when the defense and the offense really began to settle. And so third base is the one thing that is still somewhat uh, up in the air. Uh, Landon Jordan, probably the best hitting third baseman candidate we have. You know, he led us in a hitting in the fall last year and then kind of struggled a little bit when we got into the season. He was a little bit up and down. That's to be expected. The kid's a freshman. But Cameron James is a name we continue to hear. Probably a better defender. He will, he is your future shortstop. When Jordan Westberg uh, goes pro this year, and that, that'll happen. And Jordan Westberg will be drafted high. Cameron James will make the move to shortstop. So you play him some at third now to kind of groom him into making that, that move to short next year full-time. Uh, Cameron James, the younger brother of former Diamond Dog Keegan James. So there is a connection there. A guy that's grown up around our program, understands the demands of it, understands the, the tradition behind our program. But those are the two guys. And then Mason Land is another guy that will get a look there. And uh, Lavona says that he's going to play it by committee until some guy takes the position. Looking around the outfield, you know, Rowdy Jordan has made the move from left to center field. Big shoes to fill there, for sure. Going to hit lead off, be a switch hitter, you know. Um, going to be a different deal for Rowdy. But uh, certainly capable of doing it. Got more power than Jake. I don't know that he has the range of Jake and the ability to track the ball off the bat like Jake does. We'll see. Center field's a different deal. But Rowdy makes the move to center. Tanner Allen makes the move from first to right field. There are some other people in contention there, but we've got to get Tanner Allen's bat to line up. And uh, he has worked in the outfield pretty much exclusively in the spring. Did take some reps at first during the fall. Not a lot, though. But we already know what he can do there. So... Tanner Allen and right, Rowdy and center. A lot of discussion that Brad Cumbus might win that job in left field. You know, and Brad, an incredible athlete, you know, was banged up a little bit during football season. He is a guy that's come on. He is a guy that is, you know, you know, learning to play 
baseball on the SEC level. And I think that's a surprise to some people. I mean, I, I really do. And there was some discussion that Brad Cumbus might even get drafted out of high school. Uh, that didn't happen. But here he is, and uh, there are some Major League Baseball scouts that I absolutely loved Cumbus's makeup. It's just a matter of him kind of putting it all together. He struggled last year hitting breaking ball at times, but if you ever if you ever messed up and elevated a fastball, he'd make you pay for it. Also in the mix out there at left is sophomore Bryce Brock, and Bryce had a good fall, and then true freshman Drew McGowan. So it'll probably be a little bit back committee for a while. You know, Gene Swindoll uh, and Mike Nemitz have covered every baseball scrimmage this year, fall and spring, and uh, I think the consensus is that Cumbus is kind of where he needs to be right now and will likely be the opening day starter. But we'll see. Um, one of the things that I was told is that Mike Leach and the staff on football are agreeable to letting Cumbus play a little more baseball in the spring. You know, he'll still have to come to meetings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I think maybe if he's able to miss some of those practices while he has baseball, that'll probably be good for him physically. Because I really believe, and nobody will, will ever be able to confirm this, it's just really my suspicion. I think him playing both sports and never really having a chance to rest is one of the reasons he broke down a little bit last year. You know, you ask an awful lot of a kid to play one sport and he's trying to play two and maintain his grades. Uh, so it's a lot. Shows what a special person Brett Compass is. But uh, that left field spot and that third base spot, those are the two that are still kind of unsettled where you don't have a definite starter. You've got some guys that are still competing. That competition will kind of linger on in, uh, you know, to the season. And so, and then, you know, Hancock behind the plate. You know, that's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have some guys that can swing the bats for certain. Yeah, and I think our catchers last year, you know, under Coach Cheese, I, I don't know that we've had a better year with our catchers than we had last year. I mean, I mean, I mean, top to bottom. Dustin Skelton made a big jump last year. I thought Hancock played well last year. You know, um, you know Hayden Jones, who's now left the program, I thought he showed some more promise last year. But uh, Dustin Skelton was quick to give a lot of the credit for his development last year to Cheesebro. That uh, you know, as far as keeping the ball in front of him, that that was an issue for Dustin. There was never a question of athleticism or want to or hard work or ability to swing the bat. You know, with Skelton, it was always defensively. At times, he was a liability because of the fact that he, he wouldn't consistently block the baseball up. Well, that changed last year, and, and that's the thing about being a catcher. You got to want to be tough. You got to you got to understand. You're gonna have to take some balls off the chest. You're gonna have to get out there and round the ball off and get you know get out of your haunches and get in front of it. And Dustin Skelton did a great job. That's why he's playing pro baseball today. But he gives a lot of that credit uh, to Cheesebro. So that's where we are with baseball. I'm excited about this team. Next week we're going to begin to kind of look around the league a little bit. But I'm, I'm excited about this team, and I think we have a chance to get back to Omaha. Matter of fact, I think anything short of Omaha will be a disappointment. I want to remind you, too, you can find your Diamond Dogs gear right at campusbookmart.net. Long-time sponsors of the show, Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, they'll take care of you. Go by and see them. See their smiling faces. They'll even pose for a picture with you. A lot of great people there. There's never, there's nobody there that's ever going to treat you anything less than you should be because they love you. Go by. Let them help you outfit your, your, your family, your home, your RV, your office, your pad, whatever you got in maroon and white. They'll take care of it for you. And if you can't make it to town, visit them at campusbookmart.net. 
And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. So I don't know if you're aware of this, too. There have been some uh, some changes at Duty Noble Field this year. That was one of the, I want to make sure that you guys are aware of this because a lot of times that people share their, their information and their their ideas and their complaints and whatever, and uh, they feel like it's falling on deaf ears. So, so let me share with you. Greg Campbell, G, as we call him, uh, shared some things yesterday. We are going to have food truck dining, which is kind of similar to what we had at Arkansas. They have like the street tacos, and they've got, you know, the beef nachos and all that kind of stuff. They've got pulled pork sandwiches. And so this is going to be, of course, in addition and so the lineup for full food trucks is still being established, but they're going to be near the Adkerson Plaza in Ride Field. And you know where that is. Okay. They're all going to be right out there set up to make it easy for you guys to walk. Adkerson Plaza, of course, is the big circle out there with the M over S out there. There's also going to be uh, some new additions to the concession stand. Two big ones, chili cheese fries. And chili cheese nachos. They're also going to work in the Reverend's pork rinds and patent concessions funnel cakes. And now you're going to—I mean, now you're really going to be able uh, to uh, to have a cheat day when you go to Duty Nipple Field. You get a chili cheese fries, get some pork rinds, and top it off with a funnel cake. There's also going to be—and this is one of the coolest things here—to kind of aid aid in your convenience and to prevent you guys from having to stand in longer lines. They're going to have some grab and go stands. You know, just stuff that's already prepackaged. You know, where you don't have somebody prepare your food. You can just grab, you know, a bottle of water or a Coke and, and uh, you know, some prepackaged snacks and get on out of there. State-style stores. This is cool, too. Die-hard fan supply. It's going to be the, the vendor here. The dude's going to have expanded retail stands. You know, sometimes when, when we would get there, you know, they'd have the Diamond Girls, you know, selling merchandise. And sometimes the line would get a little long. You're going to be able to buy more merchandise in more locations within the park. You can have little pop-up stores too out there. It's going to be great. And that way there, there will be a larger concourse shop down the first baseline. So you're going to have, again, more opportunities to buy merchandise while you're there. And it'll be a lot more convenient. One of the biggest complaints last year, people were saying, you know, Steve, it's, it takes so long to get in before the game. Like some people come early and, and party the whole time, right? Other people show up, you know, hey, listen, I got I had to, you know, drive from work or it was difficult getting the kids here and you want to go into left field lounge uh, and the center field gates and there was a bit of a delay. Well, that's no longer no longer the case. In order to increase efficiency, they have expanded the gates in the left field lounge and in center field. Fans cannot enter and there's a new sidewalk there that heads directly towards right field through the little dude zone. So much better. So that's where you are. So, and I, and I say that because I think it's important for people to understand that uh, they don't always feel like their voice is being heard. And, and listen, there are still some things, as great as Duty Noble is, there are some things we can do to make things a little bit better. And uh, Mississippi State and John Cohen and, and Chris Lamonis are all very, very aware of your thoughts and concerns. And so uh, they jump on board with that and, and get them done. You know, because we want everybody to have a great time at Duty Noble Field. And I've shared with you guys many times. There is no right rather be than Duty Noble Field. Like when people say, oh, we got a doubleheader today. I think, man, thank goodness, man, we got a doubleheader. We can spend the whole day here. 
those are good days. Those are good family days. Those are good days for Mississippi State fans because there's one thing for sure. We can poke our chest out about things when it comes to college baseball. Well, there's nothing that anybody can say about Mississippi State that is small time when it comes to college baseball. They can say, well, you know, they got a smaller football stadium. It's still great. It's still ours. We love it. They can say, well, you know, the hump's a little bit antiquated, and we're, we're addressing that, to, that too. You know, that's one thing that's going to happen. They're out raising money now uh, for the new hump. They're not going to build a new arena. They're going to renovate the current Humphrey Coliseum. It's going to be great. But there's nobody out there that can show up at Duty Noble Field and say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I kind of like this better. Or I like that better. No, people walk into Duty Noble Field and they say, wow. It's something we can all be proud of. And uh, I, I am proud to be a part of the Mississippi State family. I know you guys are as well. Uh, so plan to come out several times. And again, next week, we'll begin to kind of preview what the SEC looks like in the East and the West. And then we'll get into kind of preview in Wright State later in the week. I, I am really excited to have you guys here. And uh, it, listen, it's great. There's been you know a lot of things around town since football season. Uh, and you guys hadn't been here. There's been some... Uh, there's been some construction and sort of stuff around campus that is kind of beginning to clear. So we're excited to have you in town. Remind you, if you hadn't done so, please go to StarkVillainsTheBook.com. You can order Flim Flam. You can order Stark Villains. And uh, there are people that you love, Bulldog fans, that are difficult to buy for. I'm encouraged you to go buy them a copy of a book. We'll personalize it for you. Signing books just about every day. You order your book at StarkVillainsTheBook.com or and and Get your loved one a Stark Villains t-shirt and hood. You'll be proud to wear those Stark Villain shirts. You can find them at StarkVillains.com. That's handled through my good friends at Deep South Pop Marketing. So happy to provide those offerings to you guys as Mississippi State family. Again, we're back next week. Very excited about the weekend. Hopefully we're celebrating uh, a pair of Mississippi State victories this weekend. And Monday will be a uh, triumphant day for us to, uh, to, again, feel good about where we stand in the world of college athletics, Mississippi State, the premier athletics program in the great state of Mississippi. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.